Uh, good afternoon, uh, St. Matt's. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, and like we always do at the four o'clock, I hate it when it's sprung on me, but uh, there will be a Q&A after the song, after this sermon. So if you have any questions, get them out of your system, write them down, uh, and we'll see how we go with that. We had Valentine's Day on Tuesday. Anyone do anything for that? Yes? No? Awkward pause? I wish someone did, but they didn't. No? Leftovers? Yes? Someone cleaned the shower as well. I was talking to someone. It's about love, isn't it? Valentine's Day? Clearly, this isn't a tradition that's been capitalistically appropriated for modern times. The history around Valentine's Day is a little sketchy, but we remember the 14th of Feb as the day Valentine died in defiance to an emperor. The emperor had outlawed marriage for younger men because he worked out that younger men are better in the army for his cause. And so Valentine, a priest who believed in marriage, was willing to die by performing illegal marriages of these young men. And in our culture, marriage and love may have become separated a little bit. In the old movies, the ones before they had colour, the peak scene was normally when the guy would put a ring on the woman's finger. Now, today, the peak scene is if they move in together. Today, Valentine's Day, it's, it's about roses and chocolates and cards because that is what love is about, isn't it? My youngest son, he's in year one. On Tuesday, he got eight cards, four of them from one person <laughs> and another one from the next day. Now, these cards, actually, I was looking at it, they're not romantic at all. They, some didn't even have words. Some were just a hand-drawn picture, you know, of that Among Us, the character. One of them drew that, right? Love and romance literally wasn't on the cards. Uh, it, it was just something that they thought would be nice or a kind gesture. And that non-romantic action on Valentine's Day in that year one class I think is more on point to what type of love Jesus is talking about today. In our passage, there's lots of intersecting themes and ideas, not just within the text, but within this whole longer discourse that Jesus is giving. This is called the farewell discourse. Uh, some have drafted it as a target with concentric circles of themes as they loop around. It's bookended by Jesus performing for the disciples, washing their feet and praying with them in chapter 17. And then there's all this talk about Jesus going away and do not let your hearts be uh, troubled and comforting them. And then there's a bit about the Holy Spirit and then the center. In our series that we're looking at this term, we're just doing the first half. We're just getting to the bullseye. Next week, that will be Josh. And for our text today, what we're looking at, the main question I think it is asking is, do you love Jesus? How do you know if you love Jesus? 
Do you have to be moved internally with some really, really strong emotion? Do you have to be passionate about some cause? There are different ways to love, and in our passage, Jesus tells us how we are to know if we love him. We'll also see that we're not alone in this task in trying to conjure up this love for Jesus. We have some promises to help us, as well as an example for us to imitate. The structure will be instruction, indwelling, imitation. But first I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do love us, and we thank you for your spirit who will help us. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will be within us. Help me to speak clearly and slowly, and I pray, Lord, that we will come to understand your word better so we can love your son better. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our passage, right up the front, verse 15, there's a pretty straightforward instruction. If you love me, keep my commands. Obeying Jesus is showing love for him. And just in case we didn't get that obedience is love, our passage says a few more times, verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And the very next verse, the negative, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So what is love according to Jesus? Obedience. It's knowing Jesus' commands and doing them. It's listening to Jesus' teachings and obeying him. The Christian life isn't an IQ test, it's lived. Jesus doesn't want his followers knowing his teaching, but doing them. So what are the commands we are to follow? What are the teachings that Jesus has for us? Well, Jesus has much to say. It can range from the Great Commission to turn in the other cheek. Really, to know what Jesus commands us, we need to read his word to find out. And what's important is that we don't pick and choose. Selective obedience is just convenience. The world will see our love for Jesus if we gladly choose to follow him when it's hard. Love, when it's soft and safe, doesn't prove much. But let's just think back a couple of weeks and the last command that Jesus gave his disciples. It was back in chapter 13. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The scene in chapter 13 hasn't changed. This is still one conversation that Jesus is having with his followers when he gives them this command to love one another. And he gives it three times in three sentences, so don't miss it. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He's shown them humble service, and then he tells the disciples to do the same for each other. This command to love one another seems to have two flow-on effects. One is, it's evangelical. 
It will show the world the uniform of love that Jesus' followers are to have. In a world that's about choice and gain and self-promotion, in one that believes in cancel culture and being offended with no room of reconciliation and forgiveness, Jesus' followers are to be humble and loving towards each other. We offer an alternative lifestyle, one of service and sacrifice, one of love. This lifestyle of love is one that is attractive to our anxious and fragmented world. And the other effect that uh, there is from following this command from our passage is that it shows our love for Jesus. As we love one another, we are obeying Jesus, and so we are loving Jesus. Do you think like that around the people in this room, in the people in your life group? If the world was to look on to our community here, would it be able to tell that we love one another? And I think, from the little snippets I see at life group, just in the last two weeks, I can give heaps of examples of people loving each other within this uh, church. All of our groups regularly pray for each other with our ups and downs and struggles of life. Some groups have ongoing chats so they can touch base with each other throughout the week, supporting each other. One life group has raised money for a member in need. Another has a small team of people gathered around someone to help assist them with their high needs and their struggles. In another group I know, two people had a bit of a falling out and I went and talked to one of the parties involved, explained explain how messy it was. And afterwards they said, I just need to call them up and say sorry for my part and forgive them. It's a great encouragement to me and my faith to see how people in this church do love each other. On a Facebook page, just this week, a car was given away there's a meals roster uh, to support a, a couple who's had their second child. There's a couple of spots left if you want to sign up. And it's in the loving of each other that we are obeying Jesus and by extension showing him love. Now, is this love that we get from God conditional? In order to be loved by God, we have to do what he says. In verse 21, it says, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. There seems to be a possible condition. It seems to go, if we love the Son, then the Father will love us, and so will the Son. This uh, might sound like it, but I think there's this circle of love going on with the Father who loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves us, and we love him, and all of that. I think there's this cycle, and it depends on how you come into that cycle, at what point. But we need to remember, Jesus does give the promised Holy Spirit to his followers, but not because they were faithful to him. Their receiving of the promise wasn't based off their performance. For not long after this, most of them all run away and desert him. And John writes elsewhere, we love because he first loved us. And in our Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy, there are commands and commands and commands, and Israel are to obey them. 
But you might not have picked up the order of events. The people of Israel were already gods before the commands came. They were rescued out of slavery and became God's people before the commands were on how to live. Even in our passage that was read, it says, You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands. It says you've become the people of the Lord, now obey. The order isn't, if you obey these commands, you will be the people of God. It is, you already are. Now live how God intended for you. In John 15, Jesus says it was him who has actually chosen the disciples to live in a way that produces fruit. But that's next week. Relationships come before the rules. And mind you, the rules are good. God has set some commands and has some teachings for us as he knows best. Society works if we love one another. Families, marriages, life groups, church interactions, if governed by love, would function well. These are good commands. Love for Jesus is our motivation to obey his commands. John Calvin said, no one will actually obey God but the one who loves him. We will not obey his teaching for a long, we much in the short term, but we won't for a long time um, obey his teachings if we feel a sense of moral obligation or trying to earn his favour. And so how do you see God and his rules? Is God's commands good? Do you think God himself is good to put these commands in front of us? When we love Jesus, we believe that he is in control and trust him in our circumstances. Do you do your daily soap reading to tick it off a list? Or because you know you're having a meeting with Lubbock and he's going to ask? <laughs> if you have a meeting with me, I'll also ask. Or do you read the Bible wanting to hear from Jesus, wanting to know more how to live, to seek his instruction as you trust that he knows best. If you want to conquer sin and obey Jesus, you don't simply try and harder to obey. You stoke the flame of love for him. To obey him better, you love him more. Now, it can be hard, don't get me wrong, to love one another. But we have a good God, one who doesn't just tell us what to do, who doesn't just say, there, I told you, and expects us to follow. But our God will also help us to put that faith into action. Do not be troubled. Jesus gives us peace and a great promise. The Holy Spirit is to help us. He helps be with us and helps us to remember Jesus' teaching so that we can obey, so that we can love. Jesus tells the disciples about the Holy Spirit in verses 16 to 20. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. 
you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And in verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is introducing another advocate. That is, there already was an advocate in play and the disciples are getting another one. Jesus is the first advocate. An advocate was someone who would be your helper, your defender, someone who was on your team, someone who would argue your case. Later, in the same discourse, we see Jesus doing just this. He prays to the Father for his disciples and even for us today. Jesus would present us before the Father. And in Hebrews 7, it tells us that Jesus intercedes for those he saves. And here we have another advocate to help and be with us. This advocate will not go away. This advocate will be in us. And the Greek word used for home in verse 23 is used twice only in the New Testament, both in this chapter. The other time was earlier in this chapter for the word room. In verse 2, Jesus says his father's house has many rooms and he is going to prepare that place for us. So in this chapter, we have Jesus going to set up our forever home and also God is going to be at home in us now. While Jesus is away, we will not be homeless or orphaned God will still be with us. And what is he going to do? He's going to help. He's going to teach. He's going to remind us of Jesus' words. Here is how we can love Jesus by obeying him. The Holy Spirit is going to remind and teach us what Jesus has said. I stole this analogy from Ian. He used it at youth once. Sometimes you're driving around Canberra at night and you might see the War Memorial, the Mint, the Museum, all lit up. And you don't realise it, but the reason why they're all lit up is because there's these giant spotlights pointing at them. And when you see the building, you don't think, wow, what a great spotlight. You think, wow, there's that building. The spotlights are there just to illuminate the building. And the Holy Spirit is like that spotlight. It points to Jesus. His goal is to help illuminate our views of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is what separates those who follow Jesus from the world. Throughout this passage, we see that the world doesn't see Jesus. Verse 17. The world cannot accept him, the spirit of truth, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. The Holy Spirit helps us to see God, and the world who does not have the Spirit will not see God. And in the last half of John 15, we'd read that the world isn't simply blind or neutral, but it also hates. The opposite of love. It hates Jesus and his followers. 
And the opposite is loving Jesus and his followers. And lastly, in our passage, not only do we have the Holy Spirit who is in us to help us to love Jesus, we also have the example of Jesus so that we can see that it is possible. Jesus Christ had a twofold personality. He was the Son of God, revealing what God is like, and the Son of Man, revealing what people are to be like. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus can say that the Advocate lives with them in verse 17. When Jesus was baptized way back in chapter 1, John the Baptist says that he saw the Spirit descend and remain on Jesus. Jesus was the new temple, the place where God dwelled on earth, and he obeyed the Father. Our last verses say, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The evil powers of the world are coming to take Jesus away and he plans on doing what he was sent to do. He wants the powers and the world to see that he does exactly what the Father commands him to do. And we know what that is. The powers to be wanted to remove Jesus. He was upsetting their system. Jesus was healing and restoring peace and giving people freedom and the world would not have it. So they conspired to kill him. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The father gave the son so that we could be given eternal life. The son obeyed the father in doing his will and by extension, we see that the Son loved the Father because he obeyed. And in his obedience to the Father, we are blessed. We are offered life. The byproduct of the Son's love for the Father is that we can be saved. The plan God had was to bring us back to him. And God had to do it. For we were all lost and in darkness. And now, as God's chosen people, those who have experienced this bringing in of relationship, we can act like Jesus. Jesus obeyed the Father. We too can obey. Jesus loved the Father. We too can love. And as we love God, the byproduct of that love will be that Others are loved too. Now you might be thinking, this is a big ask. Be like Jesus. How can I do that? I'll end on this quote. This is from a guy called William Temple. He was Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s. He said, it's no use giving me a play like King Lear or Hamlet and telling me to write plays like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no use giving me the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, 
I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. We have the spirit of Jesus in us. This advocate is our helper. The spirit reminds and teaches us about Jesus and his commands so that we can obey Jesus, so that we can love Jesus. So how do you know if you love Jesus? You do what he commands. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you are not far from us, but you have made your home in us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will remind and teach us about your son so that we can love him. I pray, Lord, that as we love him, we will then love others around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.